Reading, first of all, from the Old Testament, from uh, the prophet Isaiah, these words. But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And these familiar words from Psalm 139, speaking of our creation. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. And these words from the New Testament, from Luke 12, words of Jesus who says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And from 1 John, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. And then finally, these words, again from the Gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus' baptism. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as He was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Amen. You are my beloved. So God the Father said to his Son, Jesus, at baptism. Jesus had a unique relationship with the Father, and these words of, of the fathers confirm that relationship and Jesus' identity as the one and only Son of God. Jesus' baptism was absolutely unique. And yet there is a sense in which, especially at the time of our baptism, or indeed all of the time, when the Fa God the Father says to you and to me as well, you are my beloved child, with you I am well pleased. And I believe we can't hear these words often enough. One of the most important things in life to do is to grasp the truth of which baptism proclaims, that we are beloved by God and are special to Him. Yet so many of us have a hard time believing that to be true. There are so many voices in the world that say to us, you do not matter. What you do 
And what you will do isn't going to amount to a hill of beans. You're never going to measure up. You're a nobody. You are ugly. It's so easy to fall into the trap of self-rejection. And you know, all, all someone has to do is criticize us, and we're likely to say to ourselves, well, that just proves the point. I guess I really am worthless. I guess I really don't matter. Maybe deep down inside, I really am not lovable. Eleanor Roosevelt once said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Well, I mean, I guess that's true. Uh, but the problem is we keep giving our consent, don't we? <laughs> and we keep playing these negative tapes in our mind. We play them over and over again. It's not going to matter. You don't matter. You don't count. It all leads to emptiness and self-contempt. Um, Marilyn Monroe uh, is kind of an icon of the modern era, era right? Uh, kind of a symbol of the, the sensuality and the emptiness of our age. And uh, Marilyn Monroe was married to Arthur Miller, who was a playwright, an author. And in, Miller, in his autobiography, writes about his marriage to Marilyn Monroe. Uh, and uh, it seems that during the filming of The Misfits, uh, he watched Marilyn descend into uh, dark despair and depression. And he feared for her life, actually, and he watched their growing estrangement and her paranoia and her increasing dependence upon barbiturates. And one evening after the doctor was persuaded to give her yet another shot, Miller stood watching her as she slept, and he writes, I found myself straining to imagine miracles. What if she were able to wake up and I were able to say, God loves you, darling, and she were able to believe it? How I wish I still had my religion and she hers. Now, those are really poignant words. If only Marilyn Monroe had known how much she was loved by God. The other day, I saw the movie. I, I took a field trip uh, to see Won't You Be My Neighbor? It's a documentary on uh, the work of Fred Rogers who was an ordained Presbyterian minister, and uh, his ministry was to, uh, well, it was a television ministry, a nationwide television ministry to children, right? You all know that. Uh, what a remarkable man. I came away from that documentary more impressed with ever uh, with him. Uh, he was a real deal. Uh, he was as kind to adults as he was to children. Uh, and really, he exemplified the goodness of God. Even his own family, in, in, the, in the documentary, two of his sons speak about him. And one of them said, it was kind of like being raised by a second Christ. Can you imagine saying that to your dad? Wow. He was the real deal. 
And I recommend actually that you see it. Uh, it's in the, in the theaters right now and, um, or you know, see it when it hits Netflix or whatever. But uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was a, a, uh, a staple of children's TV programming on PBS from 1968 until 2001. In fact, the show actually quit right before 9-11, and he had to come back to, make a, a, to do another Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood so that he could speak to the children about that incredible tragedy. So that long, I mean, it was on TV, 1968 to 2001. And I just think it's interesting that that show should last so, so long. I mean, the set was very simple. The show was not fast-paced or overly dramatic. There was no razzle-dazzle, and there was no glitz to attract the attention of children. There were no characters hitting each other or blowing each other up, or shooting at each other, as in so many of the other cartoons on TV. And Mr. Rogers was horrified by the content of children's cartoons at the time, because those cartoons sent exactly the wrong message to children. In fact, he didn't have much to do with superheroes and Superman. In fact, there was a time when, you know, when the when Superman movie came out, uh, the kids would don their capes, and there were actually kids that would actually fall off buildings and hurt themselves, and, and there were deaths, uh, you know. So Mr. Rogers did his best to counter all that. Um, so the show was essentially a kindly man dressed in a zip-up sweater, talking very simply to children about feelings and good choices and happenings in life in ways that children could understand. And... Uh, during the documentary, I was, I, I'm not sure if I ever really watched Mr. Rogers all the way through, you know. Um, but tell you what, Mr. Rogers dealt with divorce and death and war and peace during the Vietnam War. He had to talk to, he talked to children about that. When Bobby Kennedy was assassinated, Mr. Rogers talked about that in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Um, uh, and again, 2000, you know, 9-11, he, he came back and talked to them about that. I mean, I, I had no idea, actually, that he touched upon these subjects, but he did it on their level. And so what was remarkable is that he was uh, a great listener. Children knew that he was listening, and they therefore opened up to him as they would do to few other adults. Uh, so, uh, what a great man he was. And uh, if you remember, he would end each program saying, there's no person in the whole world just like you, and I like you just the way you are. And Roger said of his underlying philosophy, he says, you know, I think everybody longs to be loved and longs to know that he or she is lovable. And consequently, the greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. Unconditional love. And when it comes right down to it, isn't that what human beings need more than anything else beyond the, the physical needs that sustain our life? Unconditional love. The knowledge that they are loved 
and they are able to love. The Bible has a word for that kind of love. You've heard the word before. It's agape love, the kind of love that God has for us. There is a story about uh, Karl Barth, who was one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. Uh, he was a Swiss-German theologian. He wrote volumes of books on theology and Christian doctrine, and his books still exercise the finest minds today. Uh, you know, we read him in seminary, and, and uh, he was quite a man, um, one of the great thinkers of, of, of our age. And uh, Dr. Bart was once asked by a student after one of his lectures if uh, he could uh, summarize his theology in one, one sentence. And so this man of great erudition is said to have responded, in the words I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It all kind of boils down to that, does it not? Jesus loves you and me. So therefore, to, make, to know that we are deeply loved by God makes all the difference in the world, and therefore we are people of infinite worth and of infinite value, each one of us. So what evidence might there be that would suggest that God loves you and me? Well, for one thing, we are God's creation. Our life is by God's design. I like the words of Max Lucado, a Christian writer. He says, when you wake up and look in the mirror in the morning, you're seeing God's poetry. You may think he's not much of a poet, but when God wove you together, it was not by accident. It was not happenstance. It was not a mistake. You are the result of all the creative energy of an omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient God poured into the formation of humanity. Wow, that's who we are. And I'm sure when you guys got up this morning and you looked in the mirror, you said, ah, I am God's poetry, God's masterpiece. Amazing. We are, in fact, God's highest work of art. We are, the, we are the climax of God's creation. I mean, yeah, God made the oceans and the mountains and so on. But I tell you what, to look into the face of a human being, to look into the face of a newborn baby, I mean, that's it. That's the best God can do. It's no accident that we are here. We are the products of God's creative action. Thank God we're alive right? And a bit of Dr. Seuss suggests that we should be more grateful. If you'd never been born, then what would you be? You might be a fish or a toad in the tree. You might be a doorknob or three baked potatoes. Worse than all that, you might be a wasn't. A wasn't has no fun at all. No, he doesn't. But you, you are you. Now, isn't that pleasant? Today you are you, and it's truer than true that there's no one alive who is youer than you. Shout loud, I'm lucky to be what I am. Thank goodness I'm not just a clam or a ham or a dusty old jar of gooseberry jam. I am what I am, and it's a great thing to be. If I say so myself, happy birthday to me. Wow. 
God shows his love for you and me by creating us in the first place, and whatever God creates, God values. Thank you, God. But more than that, God has redeemed us. A little boy built a sailboat. Uh, took him weeks to build this sailboat, but was he ever proud of it when he finished it? And this little boy uh, lived in New York City, and so he took it to the Central Park, the little lake there in Central Park, and to sail it. And he put it out on the water, and then all of a sudden a gust of wind came up, and the little boy let go of the string, and off the boat went across the little lake. And, uh, and so the boy, trying to keep his eye on the, on the sailboat, then made a dash for the other side of the, of the lake so that he could retrieve it. And when he got there, some older boys took it. Thieves stole it. And he couldn't believe it. He was, you know, after all that work, creating that little sailboat, he was sorely, you know, just in despair. So he was walking home, head hanging low, and he looked into the window of a pawn shop, and lo and behold, the pawn shop owner was putting his boat in the window. Well, the little boy couldn't believe it, so he walked into the pawn shop, and he said, Mister, that's my boat you got there in, in the window. I want it. And uh, the owner said, well, I'm sorry, son, but, uh, you know, I paid for that boat, and so you're going to have to pay me. It's, you're going to have to give me $5. Well, that little boy, he went home, uh, broke open his piggy bank, took about every penny out of it, went back to the pawn shop, and uh, bought the boat. And uh, as he left the pawn shop, he was heard to say, little boat, you are mine for two reasons. I created you, and I bought you. God values you and me for two reasons. He created us, and He redeemed us. He bought us back from sin and death at great cost, the cost of His own Son who died for us. He took upon Himself our sin, paid the price with His own life's blood so that we might be made right with God again. God loves us that much. God was willing to do that for us, to buy us back from sin and death to pay the price himself. It's a story about a wealthy businessman who was visiting a clinic for uh, very handicapped children, and it was hoped that he would contribute a lot of money to this particular clinic. And on his tour, he said to the doctor, uh, Doctor, these children are really bad off. Um, what ratio of cures do you get? How many ever go back to normal life? And the doctor replied, Well, about one in 100. And the businessman was surprised and said, one in 100? I'm not sure it's worth it. And the doctor corrected him gently. Yes, it is. If that one was your child, it would be worth it. Well, you are God's child. And even if you were the only person here on earth God would reach out to you, and God would do the same thing to you that He did to the whole world, that He'd leave His heavenly throne and come down and uh, exchange His throne for a cross, and He would die for you because He loves you that much.
Even if you were the only person, he would do that for you. We are God's special child beloved by him. So we are, we are loved by God by virtue of our creation, by virtue of the fact that he has redeemed us. And in the way that he has called us, God has honored us, dignified us by making us co-workers with him in redeeming and fixing his creation. If we have been baptized, then, then we have been called to important work. We are on a mission for God. We are to continue Jesus' mission. We are His hands, His feet, His voice in the world. Who are we then to say that what we do doesn't matter, that we don't count, that we are nobodies? No, we are people who have been called, each one of us, to do the most important kind of work to share God's love with those around us. What's more important than that? To serve God in the world in whatever capacity we may do that. And when you, you know, when you hear that you are loved by God, it's kind of like coming upon a well in a, in a desert. I mean, it's tonic for our soul. We need to hear it. We need to believe it. We need to accept it. We are deeply loved. There is nothing we have to do to earn it. We are loved. So when you and I begin to hear voices in the world or inside us that tell us that we are a worthless nobody, then we need to put our, our hands on our head and maybe splash some water in our face, and we need to say to ourselves, I am a baptized Christian. I belong to God in Jesus Christ. I belong to Him. And that will chase away the lies of the world. We are people of incredible worth. So in the end, this is what God says to you and to me. He says, I have called you by name from the very beginning. You are mine and I am yours. You are my beloved on whom my favor rests. I have molded you in the depths of the earth and knitted you together in your mother's womb. I have carved your name in the palms of my hand, and I have hidden you in the shadow of my embrace. I look at you with infinite tenderness, with more tenderness than a mother for a child. I have counted every head, no, every hair on your head, and every head, and I've guided you at every step. Wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you rest, I will watch over you. I will give you food that will satisfy your hunger. I will quench your thirst. You belong to me. You know me as your own, as I know you as my own. And I have given you important work to do. Share the good news of my love with others. Live out your baptism. And know that wherever you will be, I will be there as well. 
Believe those words. Believe it to be true. You are infinitely valued by God Himself. An old Jewish rabbi asked, what's the worst thing an evil urge can achieve? And he answered his own question, to make one forget that he or she is the child of a king. Don't forget who you are and whose you are. Hold your head high. You are beloved by God. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High. Live in that truth and know that God loves you more than you know. Amen.